Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha, good morning, welcome to Island Conversations. Sundays we're on the radio on the big island of Hawaii on KWXX and on B93, B97. And then we're on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo the following Friday in a rebroadcast. And you may always listen to Island Conversations wherever you get podcasts or at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. Today we are going to talk about the charter amendments on which we will vote in this upcoming election. To remind you, you may still register to vote online at elections.hawaii.gov or at the West Hawaii Civic Center or at the Hilo County Building through October 5th for our all-male voting. Now we have several important races on the ballot that will directly affect the county, mayor, county council members for Puna and Hamakua among them, but we will also vote on charter amendments, actual changes to our county's charter, which is the county's governing document. One benefit to voting by mail, as I see it, is that we get a chance to look at these charter amendments and think about them before we actually have to vote. Today, I'm delighted to welcome back to Island Conversations three longtime friends of mine and friends of democracy, three members of the League of Women Voters. We have Sue Durson. Aloha, Sue. Hello, Sherry. We have Donna Oba. Aloha, Donna. Aloha, Sherry. And we have Tony Withington. Aloha, Sherry. These three women are going to help us understand the Charter Amendments and give us some information, pros and cons, to help us decide how we wish to vote. And I'd like to start with you, Donna Oba. When I did my discussion with Doug Adams early on, he said that the best place to get pros and cons was from an unbiased organization such as the League of Women Voters. So why is the League of Women Voters the right organization? Give us a real brief look at your organization. The League of Women Voters has been educating voters for over 100 years. We started in 1920. We landed in Hawaii in the 1940s, and we've been on the Big Island since the 1960s. We have the mission of defending democracy and empowering voters, and we welcome women and men, anyone over age 15. A very important part of our mission is voter education. And we talked today about 16 charter amendments, some of them very complex, and we hope to talk about those today. Very good. Okay. Now, the county's first charter became effective in 1969, and it is required that the charter be reviewed every 10 years. Amendments to the charter may come out of the review, and this year we had 16, as you just said, Donna. There were 11 members on this year's charter commission, representatives from around the island, very distinguished community members. And I'd also like to refer listeners to my very first Island Conversations broadcast since I moved to KWXX and B97B93 in March of 2019. That very first interview was with Charter Commission Chair Douglas Shipman Adams, and I have reposted it as a podcast. So you may find that as well wherever you get podcasts or just go online to kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com to give you a look at what the process was and who was on the Charter Commission. I 
found the interview very interesting when I just re-listened to it. So anything you'd like to add about the process, Donna, that we won't get from either what I said or from Doug's discussion? No, you covered it well. Okay, so let's go to the charter amendments. And the league members here suggested a certain order in which we talk about these because some of these charter amendments that we'll talk about at the end are what I would say are sort of housekeeping details or fixing things that are very obviously needing to be fixed. Well, I'd say they're sort of pro forma, but there are some other ones that are absolutely really crucial for us to think deeply about. Sue Durson, tell us about Charter Amendment Number 5. What is that one all about? Well, voters may find Charter Amendment Number 5 familiar because it's been on the ballot several times in the past. This amendment would extend county council terms to four years from the current two-year term. It would also keep the total of eight years in service. The supporters say that four years allows more continuity, more time to build relationships, and more time to follow long-term projects. Supporters say that not needing to campaign every two years allows the members to give their full attention to county business. The opponents say two years is just fine. A council member who doesn't live up to expectations can be voted out more quickly. Campaigning allows constituents to voice their concerns to candidates, including incumbents, and it also means more civic engagement and maybe more candidates. One thing I didn't ask Donna when we were first talking, will the league be making an endorsement for or against any particular charter amendment, Sue Durson? Absolutely not. We try to be very balanced. Okay, good. That's good to know. I'd like to move to a topic that has really been very much in people's minds, I think. There are two charter amendments, number 6 and number 10, that relate to the current open space funds. And currently, as I understand it, all the county property taxes, 2% of those property taxes are essentially set aside to purchase open space. Tony Withington, you actually have been very involved with this on the ground from the start. So help us understand these two charter amendments, and let's start start with, what is the current law regarding open space funds? The current law is set by the charter, and it allows for 2% of the property tax collected to be set aside in a fund for purchasing open space, either by the county directly or in sync and cooperation with other entities and funding things. The difference between these two and the previous ones, there have been three initiative votes on the public access open space in the past, but they have all been voter-initiated. And that's a difference. Voter-initiated means that the voters signed petitions and called on the county to put it on the ballot. We're looking right now at the Charter Commission Review, which is a year-and-a-half-long process by which the Charter Commission decides which should be put on. Now, these two, 6 and 10, were both put on by the Charter Commission. Let me just interrupt to ask a quick question. The 2% right now is set in law. Do these amendments change that? Only slightly. They actually make them a little better in some respects because the voter-initiated ones were not vetted as strongly as they might have been if they had been reviewed by the commission. But they do not change the 2% or the quarter percent. 
can, at this point, the county, which is clearly going to be suffering budget concerns in the future, could they take a portion of that 2% money and use it for some other budget purpose? Or is this definitely set in stone that it goes into a fund to purchase open space lands? It goes definitely into the fund. It cannot be rated. The earlier form of it had it in the county code, and in that case, the mayor did at a time remove money from it and cut it down to 1%. But because the last initiative we had put it into the county charter, the charter now preserves it from being rated by anybody. Okay. So numbers 6 and 10, charter amendments, what are they going to do, please? Number 6 is part of the Public Access Open Space Natural Resources Preservation Fund, and it changes it only in the sense that the administration can hire staff to do the work of the Public Access Open Space Fund. Up to now, the staffing of the fund has been through the finance department by county employees. And it is it allows the open the two percent fund to be used to pay the staff and benefits uh, 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 salaries and benefits of a staff. Um, the way that um, this is this is something good because the people that have been running it have been on a part time basis. So the people that are in favor of it say a staff specifically for the Ponk Fund makes it much more easy to be more creative on getting uh, other funding to help support the open space purchases. Opponents for it say the word staff is too arbitrary, that an administration that wants to use up the funds other than purchasing property could put together a larger staff. So the only change really in this is that it allows for the administration to pay for the salary of the people who are working on the fund from the fund itself. How much money is in the Open Space Fund right now? I believe it's just over $20 million. Does the amendment dictate in some way that the staff would be dedicated to this purpose? Yes, it does say that it would be due to the purpose. This issue had more people testifying before the commission than any other issue, and they were mostly in favor of a one-person staff, but the commission changed that to a more general designation of staff. And who would make the ultimate decision as to how many people would be in that staff? The administration and the Department of Finance. So the person would be in the Department of Finance? Yes. Okay. So that's one of the two. That's number six? Right. Okay. And then what about number 10 that relates also to the open space? What is that one all about? Number 10 relates to the maintenance fund for the open space fund. The 2% is to be used for purchase of land. The quarter percent is to be used for hiring uh, nonprofit organizations to do the stewardship of taking care of lands that were purchased by the Open Space Fund. Originally, when it was set up by voter initiative, it was put into the Department of Parks and Recreation. And it was found out that the, that agency was not capable and did not really want to have uh, the role of choosing between grant applications. So this returns it to the Department of Finance. 
which makes a lot of sense because now the Department of Finance will have a staff to deal with the purchases of open space and they can have a staff to deal with the maintenance fund. The other thing that it straightens out is that the maintenance fund was originally set up to be only for supplies and equipment, disposable things that could be used on the land. It did not allow for paying people to do the work. And what was found out by the nonprofits that have applied, that people who are out on the ground doing the work should be compensated for their work. Also, it did not allow for structures, and the nonprofits would like to be able to put in things like restrooms. They would like to have a shed to store the equipment that they use for dealing with the land. This allows for that type of thing. The maintenance fund applications have very strict business proposals, so agencies that are getting the funds have to work within the limits of their business plan. Just let me make one thing clear in my mind. Right now, 2% of our property taxes go into the open space fund. You mentioned the quarter percent, so is it two and a quarter percent of our property taxes that go in? Yes. And does this particular proposal have any financial impact? Are they going to be collecting more money out of our property taxes for this? No. Okay. It does not collect a cent more. In fact, the fiscal benefit of the program would be that the salary and benefits for the staff that administers Ponk will be taken out of the fund itself rather than the general fund. Thank you, Tony. And just a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Today we're talking about the 16 charter amendments on which we will be voting with members of the League of Women Voters, Sue Durson, Donna Oba, and Tony Withington. And speaking of voting, this coming Thursday from 4.30 p.m. until 6 p.m., you may hear the final opportunity I will have for a discussion with both our mayor candidates, Ikaika Marzo and Mitch Roth. It will air on 93.1 in Kona and 97.1 in Hilo, B97, B93, this coming Thursday, 4.30 p.m. to 6, and also on the B97, B93 Facebook page. Next week, we're going to be talking with one of two candidates for County Council District 1, Hamakua, Heather Kimball. Before we return to our League of Women Voters team, let's hear from our sponsor, KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. Donna Oba, I'd like to turn to you. One of the proposals, it's number nine, is to establish a disaster and emergency fund for the county. Help us understand this one. Well, it's a new fund that will be put into law. The disaster and emergency fund would take 1% each year from county property taxes until $20 million is accumulated. Other additions to the funds could come from state and federal grants, FEMA, or other private sources. The fiscal impact would be about $3 million for an undetermined number of years. Meaning that the county would have to expend $3 million additional dollars? They have to set aside $3 million from property tax revenues until that $20 million target is reached. Based on the 2021 current budget, it would take about five years 
to reach the $20 million target. And could they spend the money during that time? They can. So the monies can be used, and again, it would continue each year. 1% of property taxes would be set aside, reimbursing the fund, plus any other grants from state or federal agencies. There's some concern because if this does pass, that $3 million would come out of the budget from revenues, and the county would have to either increase revenues from another source or decrease spending to keep the budget balanced. And again, it would be a mandatory appropriation, and that would add to the two and a quarter percent already being set aside for the Public Access, Open Space, and Natural Resources Preservation Fund, or PONC. So that amount would be almost $11 million each year that needs to be set aside from property tax revenues. So if passed, the county would have to increase revenues or decrease spending to keep the budget balanced. People support this because of climate change. Natural disasters in Hawaii is inevitable, and having funds available makes sense. It also prevents the county from having to raid other set-aside funds, and it better meets what is projected to be needed should a disaster occur. Currently, do we set aside money for an emergency? $250,000 out of general revenues is the minimum required to be set aside, but that can also be used for other purposes besides disaster. There is about $6.5 million in that fund, and it was unclear what would happen to those funds, if they would go back to the general revenues or if they would be used to start up the disaster and emergency fund. It is not written into law that that would be the case. But those opposed to this are saying that the uses of the funds are restricted to only county use, county facilities, infrastructure, or operations. There is no allowed use for individuals, families, or businesses. It will also take away money from other county operations, such as police, fire, and funding county employee health and retirement benefits. How would this fund take away money from the police or fire? It wouldn't directly come out of the police or fire budget, would it? It comes out of the property tax revenues, which pays for county operations. Well, not just police and fire. I mean, I'm not clear why police and fire are being singled out, to be honest. Well, those are examples that were given by opponents. Oh, okay. It seems like it would affect everything. Interestingly, the Charter Commission was doing its work in 2019, well before the time of COVID, during a time when we had more revenue coming in and where we could count on money coming in from the state, from the transient accommodations tax, and things have changed markedly. And I guess I wonder if the Charter Commission might have done some things differently had they been working in the time of COVID. Is there anything else that should be added about this particular proposal, number nine? They can get more information and the actual language changes from our pros and cons on the League's elections website, vote 411 Org. Okay. Let's move on to number four, Sue Derson. This relates to the authority of the police and fire commissions, asking if the police commission should be given the authority to discipline the police chief and the fire commission given the authority to discipline the fire chief. Pros and cons. Supporters say that the commissions already hire the chief and can remove him. 
they need the disciplinary factor in order to step in and try to resolve the situation before it reaches the costly, lengthy process of removal. And they cannot do that right now? No, they cannot. Opponents say that uh, the change may result in long investigations into the internal administration of those departments, which would be disruptive. Um, Also, that it might attract a lot of public attention, which would be additionally disruptive. And they also say it's unclear what situations could result in discipline and what forms the discipline would take. The second one I'd like you to address also relates to discipline, and it's proposal number seven. Shall the charter be amended to allow the county council to discipline its members by suspending them without pay for disorderly or contemptuous behavior or failure to attend three or more regularly scheduled council meetings? Well, the supporters say that the council definitely needs all their members present and behaving responsibly in order to do their business. Moreover, the public shouldn't have to pay for unexcused absences. That's what supporters say. The opponents say only constituents should have the power to remove a duly elected council member, and if the council suspends a member, that district is without representation. Of course, I think this probably goes back to the time when the council member for Puna, Jen Ruggles, decided that the county of Hawaii was illegal and she elected to continue to collect her salary while not going to any council meetings, not introducing legislation. And essentially, people in that district were not represented anyway, but they were still paying for a council member. Okay. Anything else you want to say about that, Sue? That's it. Okay, let's move on to, Donna, number 12 and 13 have to do with the qualifications of Corporation Council and the Fire Chief. Tell us about these. They're expanding the qualifications in order to be considered for the position. The Corporation Council is the county's legal advisor. Currently, the person must be an attorney, licensed to practice, and in good standing with the Hawaii Supreme Court. It will add five years of experience practicing law and three years of supervisory experience. And supporters say this is consistent with the private sector. But those who are against it saying adding that supervisory experience could exclude candidates and just make it harder to fill the position. But the Corporation Council supervises all the attorneys in the county who are in that office. So they do have supervisory experience need. There is, and that's okay. where they say it's it's consistent with the private sector. And what about the fire chief? Proposal number 13 has two parts. The f- first part didn't have any arguments against it, and it just expands the duties of the fire department to include water safety. Which it already does, actually. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. And the second part deals with the qualifications for the fire chief. Now you need five years of fire control training and experience and three years in responsible administrative capacity, which sounds like supervision. The expansion would add education and experience equivalent to a bachelor's degree. They don't say in what or what experience and education balance would be. Also, it would allow the fire commission to waive any kind of residency requirement. And those in favor saying, well, it's in line with the requirements or qualifications for department heads 
and waiving the residency requirement of having to be a Hawaii Island resident will widen the applicant pool. Those who are against it saying the residency requirement gives Hawaii County residents an advantage and the bachelor's degree is a greater requirement than what is currently required for a police chief, which is only five years of law enforcement experience and three years in that administrative capacity. When you say bachelor's degree, would it have to be a bachelor's degree? It's unclear because it says education and experience equivalent to. Equivalent to a bachelor's degree? Yes. And that does it define it any more clearly, like what kind of experience that would be equivalent to a bachelor's? No, and that's what some of the arguments against it saying it was too vague and what does a, a degree in fine arts do for being a fire chief? It sounds like those would not actually have a fiscal impact to the county. Is that right? Neither one of these two proposals do. Let's move to another one that I think could be really significant for the county, and that is number 15, the capital budget and capital programs. And it basically says it requires the charter to be amended to require that capital improvement priorities be based on and aligned with the county general plan, the community development plans, emergency expenditures, and other pertinent functional plans. Tony Withington, help us understand this in plain English, let's say, and not county code speak. Okay, let's go to what is the capital improvement budget. There are two budgets that are approved by the administration and the county council each year. The first is the operational budget, and the second is the capital improvement budget. The capital improvement budget deals with expenditures for improving infrastructure like roads and bridges and other county facilities. It includes any new construction of buildings or facilities that are controlled by the county. So we're talking about the capital improvement budget, which is the project's budget pretty much. And what this does is it tightens the budget to include to give preference to ones that have been previously planned, that have previously been given a go-ahead through the general plan, the community development plans, and other plans. This is seen by supporters as being a way to get around capital improvement funds being used arbitrarily by either political pressure or lobbying, which has happened, and for projects that have been in the mill for a long time to have preference. The opponents of it say that the wording, again, is too vague. Yes, it can be attached to the plans, but it also says it can be used for emergency expenditures or other pertinent functional plans. And that wording just leaves the door open for what has been going on in the past, which is anything that's expedient we can spend the money on. Number 14, Tony, why don't you take this one too. Shall the charter be amended to remove political party membership limits for the makeup of county boards and commissions? I find that interesting. I didn't realize there were political party mentions since so many of our boards and commissions seem to be completely apolitical in that they're intended to just do the good work of the county. But tell us about this number 14. Number 14 is updating a portion of the charter. Since the county elected offices, which are the mayor, prosecuting attorney, and the council, have all been nonpartisan for many years, this was just a holdover from the old charter. It makes all the boards and commissions nonpartisan. 
the supporters of this say that it brings it in line with the other elected officials in the county, and it also allows for qualified people to uh, increase the diversity of uh, commissions, and it also helps the administration to fill the boards with people who are very interested in that area. The opponents say that it removes the protections from diversity, but the only thing it removes is the political association of the members. Does that mean that right now when one joins a border commission, they have to declare themselves as a party member? Yes, they declare themselves as a party member or as non-party. Right now they say that anyone declared party cannot be a majority, but the way it's been now, most people on the boards tend to be more non-partisan. Tony, number 11 says that it wants to align the county charter commission process with the current requirements of state law. Tell us about number 11. Sounds like following state law is a good thing, but is it? That's a good question, and that's what the commission is asking voters to decide. So state law does require that the 10-year review of the county charter be undertaken by a commission appointed by the mayor within one year of voting on it. The county has appointed the Charter Commission uh, six months earlier than the year to give them a running start on holding hearings, holding informational meetings in the various districts. And then once they come up with their suggestions for the charter, they are mandated to run them by the county council. And the county council has a chance to amend or submit other charter changes. Proponents say that it streamlines the process, that it keeps it in line with uh, state law. And the opponents say that it may put too much time pressure on the county to hold meetings in all of the districts and review by the county council within a year before it goes on the ballot. The way we do it now gives the Charter Commission more time, and the proposal is to give the Charter Commission less time. Yes. Okay. Thank you. The balance of the Charter Amendments, as I see them, are what I would call housekeeping. Donna, run us through those really quickly. And when I say housekeeping, meaning things that are kind of like correcting spelling or whatever, right? Housekeeping also includes updating language, removing obsolete terms like data processing, and now becomes information technology. That's proposal number one. Two, three, and eight are really there to align with what we're already doing, our current practices. Two is about holding council meetings on the east and west sides of the island. Three updates the duties of the director of research and development to include economic, environmental, and cultural sustainability and resilience, a catchphrase. Eight involves the information systems, keeping them in-house services with the police department and the Office of Prosecuting Attorney, mostly because of security concerns. And 16 gives more teeth to the Board of Ethics to impose civil fines for ethics violations. Well, we have just covered every single one of those pros and cons for all of the charter amendments. Donna Oba, if people want to see this information, where may they go to find it? Well, the league's election website, Vote411, that's V-O-T-E, the number four, the number one, the number one, dot org, to learn more. If you don't have a computer or printer, call the league at 933 933- 8683. Leave your name, phone number, and a mailing address, and we will send you a print copy of the League's Pros and Cons. And what's that phone number again, please? 933-8683.
The information about the basic charter amendments is on the county website. If you go to hawaiicounty.gov and look for charter amendment, you will pull up a couple of different things. One is the money impact, and one is the list of the charter amendments. But the only place you can find pros and cons is on the League of Women Voters website, right? Yes. This is a a once-in-a-decade event, and these amendments change our charter, which is really the county's constitution. We encourage you to read up on this and vote. Thank you so much to Sue Durson, Tony Withington, and Donna Oba from the League of Women Voters. Aloha. 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 And to our listeners, thank you so much for being with us. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Until next time, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.